Good morning, South Shore. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you for those of you who are with me. It's good. Good to see you all today. Internet people, hello. Glad you're watching online. God bless you from wherever you are. I was thinking this week, it's just really good to be together. It's good to be together whenever we can get together in our gatherings that we come together on Sunday mornings as we worship. It's so important. This week, we had lots going on in the building. There was a big prayer meeting on Tuesday. There was a big youth meeting on uh, Friday night. Uh, yesterday, there was a ladies' meeting, as Blair's already said. Those are just some of the things I know about. Go back to last week, it was the hike, and I think I was involved in almost all of those things. And, you know, and then there's all the kind of the one-on-ones we do, too. So, South Shore, take advantage of just being here. We, we need you, and you need us. We need each other. So let's talk about where we're going to go this morning. We are in week seven of our Pray Big series, and what I want you to do as we begin is take your Bibles and let's open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to look at the whole chapter, focusing on verses 11 and 12. As you're flipping there, I want you to think with me about what would you say if I said, what defines a Christian? What defines a Christian? Maybe a number of things come to your mind, things that we don't do, things that we do, things that we love, things that we, we are. For sure, one of those qualities that defines a Christian is that a Christian is somebody who prays. Now, to say you're a Christian, but then you don't pray, is like saying you're married, but you never speak to your spouse. Because communication defines a marriage. It shapes it, it matures the relationship in the same way Prayer defines us, it shapes us, and it matures and grows the relationship that we have with the Lord. So as a person who claims to follow Christ, we want to say, Lord, make this true of us, that we are people who praise. And part of our growing in prayer is the sense that we have a framework for prayer. We, we think about it, we believe things about it, we practice it, and we value it greatly. And I hope in the last seven weeks that your framework has grown how you value prayer and how you practice it and how you understand it has grown by the grace of God. Now, sometimes our prayer life, our framework is a little bit deficient. Maybe it's only that it's like a 911 emergency hotline only to be used when there's a a major problem and you're over your head. Sometimes we treat prayer like a check off the box. I did it. I prayed at mealtime. And we really just treat prayer like we're supposed to, not because we want to or because it's a delight. But isn't, isn't prayer so much different than that? Isn't it meant to be so much different than that? Prayer, after all, is communicating with the God who made the universe. And he is ready. The phone is always ready. He's always picking up the phone at the other end. When we pray, we're asking God what he wants, and we're aligning our will with his, expecting that God hears and acts when we pray. Don't take that for granted. That's amazing. And so, sure, we want to grow a biblical vision for what prayer is. A biblical vision that shapes and focuses and directs our energies and our practice of prayer. We wanna pray about the things that matter the most. If I told you you had this opportunity to ask, and Solomon asked, think about Solomon's prayer. God said, ask me what you want. Solomon said, "Um, I need wisdom. I need wisdom because I'm leading this great nation. We're gonna hear about him in a few minutes. And God said, because you didn't ask for wealth or riches, the things that a lot of people would ask for if you had kind of like one wish, one prayer, he didn't ask, for, he didn't ask to be rich. He said, God, give me wisdom. And God said, I'm going to give you the wisdom, and I'm going to give you the wealth and the fame and the, the magnificence of a kingdom because you asked for the right thing. 
And I just want us to be people who ask for the right thing, the important things. And we've been learning in these last six weeks what it is that are the big things that are on God's heart. What does God care about? And as we pray, we've been asking God to help us to pray big, to pray big, not to be like little prayers, little faith, little things, little earthly things. No, we want to pray about big things to a big God with a big faith, focusing laser beam prayers on the things that matter the most. Here's what we learned over the last seven weeks. We learned that God wants us to be people who are devoted to prayer, right? That was week one. Week two, we learned that God wants us to be people that pray for those who preach the gospel. I hope you've been praying for your preachers. We need it. And we also are to pray for one another as we live out the gospel and get it out. We saw that in Colossians chapter 4. We want to live it out and speak it out. Amen. We also heard that God wants us to know him and to open our eyes, to open the eyes of our heart that we would know him experientially, personally. God also wants us to grow up into maturity, understanding his will and the depths of his love. He wants us to approve what is best out of the basis of knowing his love. And he wants us to live out of that love and live lives that bear fruit for God's glory. Think with me for a second. Prayer is a key. This key is in your hand, and this prayer key is that which unlocks the work of God in our lives. God puts that key in your hand and says, you have the opportunity to pray and to watch what I will do as you pray. So let's take advantage of it. Let's pray big prayers. Let's pray big prayers. It is the key that unlocks the work of God in our lives to make us the kind of people that exemplify the Christian life and testify to the reality of a risen Savior. And so I've been praying. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for myself over these last number of weeks. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Just God, help us to get it. And thank you for sharing your testimonies today. Thank you for little insights into how God's prompting you and leading you and growing you and challenging you. And I hope this morning we'll even do more of that. I'm asking God not only to teach me to pray, but I'm asking God to make us a praying church. And I pray that you would join me in praying that as well. As we pray about all things at all times. Grace was talking today about just her organic, natural flows out of what hap is happening in my life. And think about how you prayed this week. Maybe it was in your times of devotions, you're reading the word and you stopped at a verse and you said, I need to pray about that. Maybe it was using a prayer book and some words that someone else wrote helped you. Maybe it was walking with a friend. Maybe it was your prayer list. I was at the mall on Friday afternoon. I had a chance to meet up with somebody who uh, I spent probably 10 or 15 minutes talking to. And it really functioned like a counseling session because this lady who shared with me uh, what was going on in her life, like, this was the deep end of the pool. This was some heavy-duty stuff. So I listened, and I was feeling with her, and I just said right in front of the running shoe store, I said, hey, can we just pray right now? And you know, there's all these moments that God just allows us to pray, and we're, we're learning to call on him wherever we are. And when we do, we're saying, God, we trust you more than we trust ourselves. We believe in you more than we, we believe our power. We're saying, Father, I can't, but you can. And Jesus, we believe that your grace is poured out. So today as we come, in light of God's word, we're going to ask ourselves this question, what is God's overarching, per overarching purpose for our lives? We're going to find that out in this text. What is God's overarching purpose in our lives? How we should pray when things are tough. And you know what? Things might be tough in your life. Some of you go, yep, I'm in a tough season. But as a society, as a culture, and as believers who follow Jesus, things may get, may get tougher. So how should we learn to pray now in times of suffering? 
Well, I want to give you the context because as we come to these verses, 11 and 12, in chapter 1, this is the prayer. But those verses are embedded in the whole chapter and there's context. And the content of the prayer sits in the context of the chapter and we're not going to understand the prayer properly unless we understand the context. So, take your Bibles, let's stand to our feet and hear now God's holy and inspired word as we look at first, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1. He writes this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God, your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, of which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a seat. So we're focusing on verses 11 to 12. Let's find out why this was written. This was written from Pastor Paul to this young church. These people believed when Paul preached the gospel. This is Paul's second letter. And he, we know from verse 3, if you look over there, verse 3, he was thankful for them. And he boasted, verse 4, about them because they were flourishing, they were growing. And like the other churches that we've seen, their love was growing. Their faith was intensifying and they were living it out. And they lived out what they lived out because they were motivated because the day was coming that so motivated and so influenced them that they would live now in light of then. And Paul saw this. And it seems that we've seen from all three of these churches that the normative indicators of a healthy church are faith and love. Faith and active trust in Christ and love and action. May that be ever true of us, so sure. And this Thessalonian church, the thing about them that we haven't seen in the other churches was that they were undergoing a real, real difficult time. It was a time of affliction and persecution and difficulty. And they were standing strong. It says, we just read it, they were steadfast. For your steadfastness, verse 4, in all of your persecutions. And he was praying that that would stay and remain true of them. It was a very, very difficult time. And don't we seek to be a church like that, you know, rooted and, and strongly anchored in Christ so that when times get tough, we're going to stand strong, we're going to persevere you know what? Uh, it's not a secret, it's not a surprise that tough times come. 
and the storms blow. And maybe that's not where you're at right now, praise God. But personally and as a culture, we may see the storms intensify. We want to make sure that we're praying well, we're thinking well, that God would help us to be steadfast. So Paul writes his words of comfort to these persecuted believers and just saying, look, I, I want to tell you, God has got you in his grip. You are in the grasp of God and nothing is outside of his control. As we read those verses, what you see is that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, so keep your eyes looking forward and know that the people that oppose you and oppress you and persecute you, God's got their number. He's going to deal with them. And they're very, very strong words. They're very difficult words to read. I mean, it's like, you know, the fire of God and the angel armies of God are going to deal with those people that afflict you and they're going to be repaid and they're going to be judged. God is going to inflict vengeance upon them. Those are very, very serious words. He says relief is coming, so stay strong, stay the course. Now, we go, you know, we're not actually anywhere near there, what those people are facing. And if you know anything about the persecuted church, maybe some of you know about the 1040 window. Maybe some of you have had opportunity to pray for the, the persecuted church. I know as a young believer, I was praying for people who were in Russia and Romania. Things changed. This was like in the early 1980s. I was praying for prisoners. The names would come out through Voice of the Martyrs, this ministry. And I was praying for people who were in prison and dying for their faith. And there's parts of the world like China, the Middle East, where believers, you know the stories, what they're going through. And that's, that's not really us right now, although we may... We may feel small bits of opposition, but um, there's nobody pounding on our door, dragging us off to prison because we name the name of Christ. No one is forbidding us to preach the gospel or teach our kids God's truth. That day may come. It may come, brothers and sisters, but it seems like it's still over the horizon. Well, we ask ourselves the question, how do we pray in times of difficulty and in seasons of suffering? And, and this text gives us great context for that. We have these trials, but how should we pray when the trials come and even the difficulties we face now? Well, we pray from this, this perspective that we have a big purpose, and that's what this message is called. We have a big purpose. And in this big purpose, God tells us how to pray. He's going to tell us how to pray. He encourages us in the battle, and he equips us so that we might remain strong. So this morning, here's what we're going to ask. What is our purpose in living, and how is it connected to prayer? What is our purpose in living, and how is it connected to prayer? In the text, as Paul unfolds it for us, we're going to see two things. There's two prayers that we're going to pray, and we're going to see the results from those prayers. So the two prayers are this. If you're taking notes, you'll be able to write these down, and you'll see them again. So the first one is this. God would make us worthy of his calling. That's his first prayer. That God would make us worthy of his calling. The second is that God would help us fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. Paul's calling on the Lord to do this for us, for the church. Those are the two prayers. And the result, really it's one result, kind of with two parts. One result is this, that the end of those prayers, the end of God working those prayers, is that God would be glorified in us and that we would be glorified in him. God would be glorified in us and we would be glorified in him. Here's the first one. Here's the first prayer. God would make us worthy of his calling. Let's look together at verse 11. Paul writes, to this end, we always pray for you. There he is again. We've seen this again and again and again. Paul is this steadfast, devoted prayer warrior for those he loves. 
To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Worthy of his calling. So let me tell you, we were not saved because we were worthy. Right? God didn't save us because you were like some shining gold star A-plus student. Nope. We weren't worthy when we were called. But it's because Jesus was worthy. It's because Jesus was faithful that we were called and that we were saved. God has called us and saved us, and his calling in your life is always effective. What God started, he will finish. Yay! Sometimes you go, I'm not sure I'm going to make it to the finish line. But you know what? He who began a good work in you, you know the rest of that, will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's calling in your life is effective. He's going to see you through to the end. Amen. That's a word of encouragement to some of you today. God's got you in his grip. He's going to see you through to the end. It's going to happen. But think back to before Jesus. Like, who were you before you were saved? I was 16. I was up to grade 10 as a non-believer, and I remember what my life was like. I remember how I thought. I remember how I acted. It was not pleasing to God. It was very worldly, very earthly, very me-centered. Think back to where you were, but, but in Jesus, we don't even know who that person is anymore. We've been so changed by the Lord He has given us a a brand new radical purpose. He's given us a new heart. Before we were concerned with the things of earth, we were considered with our own pursuits, we were consumed with our own glory, and now we know I'm a citizen of heaven, I'm living for the kingdom of God, and I'm preoccupied with the glory of God. That is the radical change that God has worked in my life and in our life on an ongoing and ever-increasing basis. And I just want you to, to see this, brothers and sisters. Don't miss the radical, life-changing transformation that takes place when someone gets saved. We are totally new in Christ. We're new creations. And this is only by the power and the grace of God. And don't you wish and don't you hope for it? I've got someone in my mind right now as I'm saying this. Somebody that you love, that you care about, that you know is living a very gray existence, a very kind of day-to-day, I'm just making it through, but you know that person doesn't have any hope. They're just kind of going, I don't, you know, you sometimes, and I even say, how do you make it another day? And I wonder that too. But we pray that that person would be made alive in Jesus Christ. Because in Christ the dead live and the blind see and the rebels become worshipers. Amen. And so Paul says, your future hope of what is going to happen to you because God is going to fulfill his purposes for you, that hope leads you now to live and to pray in a certain way. So, he says, live up to the calling of being a Christian. He says, may God make you worthy of your calling. How he has called you. He said, as someone who is saved, as someone who is a Christian, as someone who knows forgiveness, live like that. If you've been forgiven, forgive others. Live like that. Live worthy of this calling of God that you would please God in all of your conduct. And if you go, okay, I'm supposed to please God in all of my conduct, but I think I'm not really doing so well. Sometimes I just think, Lord, keep me alive for a long, long time, because if you're working on me a little bit at a time, I have a long way to go. You ever feel like that? Lord, if, like, if I live to 100, I think I'll be, you know, like another bunch of decades. I really need all that time. That's how I feel. I want to be clear. Here's what living worthy of our calling means. It means that you and me, who name the name of Jesus, we need to live in a a fitting way. We need to live appropriately to the faith that we profess. In other words, live up to your calling. Live up to your calling. I'd say it one more way. Be who you are. 
If you are a forgiven person, be who you are. Grant forgiveness. Live to the glory of God. Live appropriately. Live like you're saved. So you say, well, Jody, what do you mean specifically? What does that, what does that look like? Think with me about what the Bible says is fitting for a child of God. I'm going to give you uh, just a couple of seconds. You know, think of, think of one thing as you think about the Bible. You go, a child of God should look like this or should do that or should act like that. You got something in your mind? So we may say that a child of God should be a person of integrity. That individual should be someone who's loving others, someone who is obeying God, and someone seeks to live a pure life. Those are four things that I thought of. You've got something across the room. We could stand up and hear what we're all thinking. But those things that we've thought of, what we're saying is, God, this is living up to your calling. This is what it means to be a son or daughter of God. Now, I want you to, to note for a second, just to be careful, that these attitudes and these behaviors, they're not what saves us. If you're good and if you're pure and if you're seeking the will of God, that doesn't save you, right? Let me just be clear about that. These are attitudes and behaviors that demonstrate what? That you are a saved person. They don't save you, but they show that you are a saved person. But we pursue these things. We pursue these things. We pursue this calling. We pursue this kind of life because that's what God calls us to be and do. And there's a day coming, and I'll tell you another reason why we do this, because we're all going to stand before the Lord, and we are going to give an account of how we lived our lives. Did we live up to our calling? And since you're a child of God, and because you know the grace of God in your life, I exhort you again in the name of Jesus, live worthy of the call you have in Christ. I love and have loved over my 32 years of ministry, having had the opportunity to work with seniors. Really right from day one, God's given me time with wonderful senior saints. And, you know, when you're around someone who's older and just, you know, they've been walking with the Lord, there's a sense of seasoned godliness. There's a, a Christ-likeness that permeates their life. They, they, just, they just seem like Jesus in so many ways. And I love being with those people. And recently, I've had the privilege of knowing a woman and walking with her for 10 years. She's 97 years young. Her name is Rosetta Zagger. I know she's watching this morning on the internet. She's in Aurelia. She's blind. She's in a wheelchair. And she is the mother of 17 children. She had 12 children of her own and adopted one. And her first husband was killed. And she married another man years down uh, the road. And, um, and she had four more children through that marriage. So she had 17 children, 68 grandchildren, and 100 plus great-grandchildren. I actually don't have the exact number. She had a lot of kids. And I suspect today if she was here, she could probably name, uh, you know, all her 60 of her grandchildren and probably 100 of her great-grandchildren. Well, you can imagine that she has not had an easy life. Um, she's, uh, as I said, blind in a wheelchair, but her life is just full of the grace of God, and she's faithful and overflowing with gratitude. I love being around her. Every time I'm with her, I am so encouraged. And she is a woman who is living worthy of her calling. She is living worthy of representing Jesus Christ with who she is and what she does. I want to be like her when I grow up. Let me ask you, when you pray for your kids, what do you pray for? How high is the bar, parents, if you're a parent today, how high is the bar for your kids? Sometimes we pray for good grades, okay? We pray that they don't stray too far, God, keep them close to you, okay? We pray maybe for a successful career, for a life of happiness. But 
Wouldn't you agree with me that we don't want kids who are successful in the world's eyes, but spiritually impoverished? Right? We don't want them to gain the whole world and lose their soul. So we, we're going to pray differently. We're going to pray with the bar raised so, so, so much higher. And so let me suggest, here's one prayer we should pray for our kids. God, real simple, we've just been talking about it. God, make them worthy of their calling. We cut through all the other stuff, the happiness, the success, the career path, all that stuff. Yes, it's important to a certain degree. But the bar is raised high when we say, God, make my son, make my daughter worthy of their calling in Christ. And as we pray that for them and for ourselves, we're going to say, Lord, I want to live now in light of then. And so therefore, God, would you help me every day in every conversation, in everything that I do, significantly to live for you. Because God, there's, there's nothing that's throwaway. There's no incidental words. There's no time that's not important to you. All this can be done for the glory of God. And so I pray for me and for us. Lord, help me to live up to my calling. Lord, as a church, make us worthy of our calling. Help us to be who we are. It's a big prayer. This is the first of Paul's two prayers for the church, and here's the second one. That God would help us fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. Every work of faith. We see that at the end of verse 11. Now Paul prayed that they might have a resolute will to go after goodness and to live a life of faith-prompted deeds, to be living it out. Paul was praying that, that God would give the believers in Thessalonica the power to accomplish all the good things their faith prompts them to do. And just, just think about that for a second. This was, you know, if you and I were living there, we'd probably go, hey, look, my goal in life is just to survive that I don't get killed. He's saying, forget about hiding, forget about just staying hunkered down, you know, in your quiet little your quiet little corner as a Christian, keep your head down. He's saying, no, no. Keep your head up high, stand strong, and go for it. Be resolute, be firmly convinced and convicted that God's got something for you to do, and do it. Be bold. I remember a number of years ago, uh, I think I heard the song when I was in campus ministry, like, be bold, be strong, for the Lord thy God is with you. He's saying this, Thessalonians, be bold, be strong, and live out this life of faith. The Christian life is about being, but it's also about doing. It's about who we are, but it's also about what we do. It's about doing our Father's will. I love Jesus said that, you know, he's completed his Father's will. The Christian life is about accomplishing what God has called me to do. And my assignment is different than yours. Your assignment is different than someone else's. But God has a purpose and a plan for your life. That's ultra exciting to me. Listen to this. We are called by God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for you and for me that we should walk in them. And so our faith is engaged actively in doing the things that God has for us to do. As you look at that verse, you're seeing that? God made you for some good stuff. He's already prepared that stuff for you to do ahead of time. He knows what this week is going to look like for all of us. You say, well... How do I know what those good works are? What is it that God's wanting me to do? Well, you pray, and you search his word, and you listen to the work of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you. You seek to, the, to know the kingdom of God, and you, seek, you say, Lord, what are the burdens that you would give me? What are the dreams that you would give me, God? What are the things that you would want to tell me to do? Maybe you've prayed a prayer like that. I have. 
I think about King David. King David had a dream, a big dream, a big burden, a big vision, a very all-consuming, compelling vision. Do you remember what it was? He wanted to build something. He wanted to build something, probably the most magnificent structure ever created in human history. It was the temple of God, the house for the Lord for his worship, and it was a wildly ambitious plan. It was prompted by God and involved countless amounts of wood and quarried stone and tons and tons and tons unspeakable amounts of gold and silver and bronze and all sorts of material and precious stones. In fact, this was so big that it involved 150,000. Did you just catch that? 150,000. That would be like everybody in Barrie working in the quarry just to get stones. 150,000 people plus 3,500 foremen. And that dream of David's to build this beautiful, magnificent house for God started with the dream of God, the burden of God, the vision of God. And David could not get it out of his heart and mind. He so wanted to do this, but it would not be fulfilled in his time, but in the life of his son, Solomon. And Solomon picked up the dream as David had amassed all of the resources. And so Paul prays that God would give us the power to accomplish great things that our faith prompts us to do. Say that again. Paul prays that God would give us the power to accomplish things that our faith prompts us to do. Good things for God. And before it was, it's all about me. We were building our own empire, but in Jesus, it's not about us. We're not empire builders, we're kingdom seekers. And we're saying, God, would you allow me to spend my life and take who you've made me to be to live for your glory. God, I want kingdom plans. God, I want kingdom goals. I want my life to be a life of obedience that brings you glory. I want to be doing stuff for you, Lord. God, what is it you have for me? What is it you have for me? And I can see two ditches here, two extremes that we need to avoid. On the one side here, it's, we're going to say the car is in park and stays in park. What do I mean by that? Well, it's just like we think a lot about doing something for God, but we never really get around to it. We don't do anything about it. We sit back and we do nothing. And if you think and you imagine but you don't do anything, these are empty dreams. The Bible says faith without works is what? Is dead. Faith without works is dead. James 2.26. That's the one ditch. You think, you might be even dream, but you don't do anything. It goes nowhere. The other, the other extreme is that uh, the car is spinning its wheels but never gets any traction. You see, we can, we can be busy, we can do a lot, but if you never seek God's help, if you never seek his face, if you never seek his power, there might be a lot of activity, but no lasting impact. And I reminded of the verse that says, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor, what, in vain. So on one hand, faith of that works is dead. The other hand, unless the Lord is in it and with us and building it with us, it's going nowhere. So God calls us to do something for him giving ourselves fully to know his will and resolving with all of God's power, we're going to do it. We're going to be involved. And I would love today if all of us in this room and those watching would say, God, I want to stand up and sign up and show up and step out to do this for you. Maybe you've said that before, or maybe it's a long time since you've said that. Maybe as a 20-year-old you said that. Maybe you've kind of gotten a little car and parkish in the last number of years. I remember as a young man being deeply impacted when I heard the story of Dawson Trotman. Maybe you've never heard that name before, but he's a significant player in the 20th century. He was a godly man, 
he founded a ministry called The Navigators that worked on university campuses all around the world. I remember when I was at Carleton, having guys and women at different tables in the cafeteria, there'd be one-on-one, a Bible open, was a navigator staff worker with a student studying the scriptures, started by Dawson Trotman. He was born in 1906. He came to know Jesus at the age of 20. And soon after his conversion, one of his first responsibilities was to take the grade six boys Sunday school class. It's not a good assignment, let me tell you. I've been there, right? And the leader of the Sunday school said, hey, listen, we're going to pray for you because this, this class has already killed off two teachers. It's like a little scary. He said, what do you mean? Well, he said, uh, two teachers have already given up. They've tried. They failed. They, they flamed out. And uh, the boys would not listen. They wouldn't behave. Dawson Trotman stood up. He said, I'll do it. I'll try. Sure enough, the first week he was teaching them, the guy was right. They didn't listen. They weren't responsive. It was a really, really tough assignment. God bless those who work with grade six boys. But he prayed about it, and he said this. He said, Lord, you made little boys. In this profound prayer, he said, God, give me some idea that will help me hold their attention. That would be an idea that would change a lot of things. That would be a prayer that would change a lot of things. Well, God did give him an idea, and in time, each of those six boys came to faith in Christ. And that Sunday school class grew not only to the Sunday school class, it grew to a midweek Bible study, a midweek club. And interest grew and grew, and before long, there was 225 junior high boys meeting in these midweek Bible clubs, and the Sunday school grew to over 400 people. In Dawson Trotman, God had found a man who would believe God's word and who would dare to pray, Lord, you made little boys, give me an idea. A close friend of Dawson Trotman was Billy Graham. They were contemporaries. Billy Graham said about Dawson Trotman, I think he touched more lives than any man I have ever known. Wow. It's quite a statement. We today, Graham said, are only representatives of thousands of many races and languages and cultures that have been touched by this great man. God, give me an idea. Just give me an idea. The power of prayer. The power of the grace and the work of God. Now, we can't do everything, but we can do something. I'm not called to do everything, but I'm called to do the the good work that God's put in front of me, and so are you. We're called to do something significant that will impact people for eternity. That's your life. That's my life. Prompted by the love of Jesus and fueled by faith and a desire to make Jesus known, we say, Lord, Lord, what is it that you're stirring in me? Lord, how can I serve you? Give me an idea. Lord, would you give me an idea? And I'm, I pray today that God will give you an idea of how you can be actively engaged, your faith, your resolves for good, your faith desires prompted to serve the Lord. And yours might be that God would lead you to share your testimony with a friend, something real simple right there. Maybe it's inviting someone to one of our Christmas services. Maybe God would give you the idea to reach an international student at Georgian College, open the doors of your house and bring them over for a meal share the gospel. Maybe it's, there's a single mother that you need to support or a widow that lives down your street that needs some love. Perhaps you need to come alongside a struggling teenager. Or maybe you say, I'd like to start an online Bible study or an online prayer meeting. However God burdens you and gives you a dream and equips you, walk with it, run with it, and say, God, give me that resolve. Give me that idea. And if you don't have one, say, Lord, would you, would you give me this one thing? Give me this one thing, Lord. I want to be faithful to you. William Carey was known as the father of modern missions. 
He was a missionary to India in 1793. And you're gonna love this quote. He says this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. He was a man who in 1793, you can imagine leaving England and going to India, that was a pretty big deal. The first kind of radical missionary to leave the West to go to Asia. And he said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. You could actually put that on your mirror and say, Lord, by your grace, I want to expect great things from you in 2021. And God, by your grace, with my faith fired up and fueled up, and by your power, Lord, I want to attempt great things for you. Can you, can you dream about having that kind of faith? Can you dream about having that kind of impact, that kind of pulsing and energy and drive in your bones because the grace of God and the power of God is within you? May it be so, brothers and sisters. Because when you say this and when you step out in faith, God will answer that because he's a powerful prayer answering God. Lord, give us an idea. Lord, give this church an idea. God, help, help South Shore to step up, to reach out. Lord, give us an idea as, as an elder team. Give us ideas as a congregation. So here's the two prayers. First, that God would make us worthy of his calling, that we would be who we are, that we would live as we should. And second, that God would help us fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. Those are high bar prayers. What's the result? Here's the next thing. The result's really simple. The result is that God would be glorified. The result is that God would be glorified. Verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, he's saying, I'm praying all of this, so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that first result is this, that as we see in that verse, that the name of Jesus would be glorified in us. I just love the fact that you and your life and me and my life, we're a canvas. And our life as a canvas is meant to display the glory of God. As God works in you, Christ will be seen in you and he will be given the glory now, you might be today someone who's in school trying to figure out your future. You may be a young professional trying to make a go of it. You may be a stay-at-home mom raising the kids or maybe someone near re- nearing retirement or already in retirement. But listen, why do we do what we do as a student, as a mom, as a professional, as a retiree? What is it that motivates us and spurs us on every day when we get up? I'll tell you what it is. We exist, listen, we exist to glorify God period, that's it. We exist to glorify God. We exist for God's glory and no other reason. That's your big purpose right there. It's not our glory. It's not that we would be seen as remarkable or exemplary, but it's that my life, my canvas, who God made me to be and the time that I have and the energy and I have and the experiences and the personality that I bring glory to God. You too. Here's what the Bible says. We give glory to God because in Romans eleven thirty six 36, it says this. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Paul writes, to him be glory forever. Amen. See, we give glory to God. That's our reason because he's the creator. From him are all things. God made it all. Nothing exists except that God made it and he made us. We made everything for his pleasure and his purposes. And not only that, God deserves the glory because he sustains all things. He made all things, and he sustains all things. And not only that, but God gives meaning to everything. He's the reason for everything. He's the reason for you. He's the reason for me. It's the reason why we breathe. 
Our life revolves around him. And when we give glory to God, we are doing what we were made to do. We were living according to the purpose God designed us for. Nothing better, nothing more joy-fulfilling than find our greatest glory in the glory of God. Our ultimate end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And when we walk worthy of the Lord, the name of Jesus will be praised. He says, so that the name of Jesus would be glorified and his fame would be seen through our life. So we glorify God in all sorts of ways. When you come to church, when you worship together on a Sunday, when you work in the AV, AV ministry, when you teach Sunday school, when you clean the church during the week, when you hang out with the youth on Friday nights, when you go and do a one-on-one with a friend and pray, when you give your tithes, when you attend the prayer meeting, so sure, what are we doing? We're glorifying God. Christ is glorified in us when we live this way. When we in God's strength live worthy of his call and resolve to step up and step out in faith, Christ is honored in us. That's the first part of the result. The second result of Paul praying and us having God's power is, look at this, second part, verse 12 again, that we would be glorified in him. Verse 12, that we would be glorified in him. Christ might be glorified in you and that phrase, and you and him. You'd be glorified in him. What does that mean, that you'd be glorified in him? Jody, I think you're telling me that like we're supposed to give all the glory of God, but doesn't that contradict that, are you telling me that we're stealing and taking glory from God? That's not what it means. Here's what it does mean. What it means is that one day we know that who God has justified, and he's already justified you, he's made you fully righteous, your account is clean, you're forgiven in Christ, you've been declared righteous. God who did that already has already made you fully glorified, it's just being worked out. And so we know that more and more now, from one degree of glory to the next, we're becoming increasingly like Jesus. That's good news. Amen. Amen. 2021 is going to be better than 2020 because you're going to be more like Jesus. If God gives us 10 more years, 10 10 years from now, we're going to be a lot more like Jesus. Why? Not because you tried harder, but because God was working to glorify you. What does that mean? To glorify you means he's going to make you more like Jesus increasingly, more and more and more by his Holy Spirit. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is uh, one of my favorite verses. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord as we see Jesus are being transformed in the same image, his image, from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God, change me. God, change me. Work in me to make me more like Jesus. God, may my life represent you and reflect you more and more. And we're being transformed from the inside out. And that Greek word, perhaps you know this, but that Greek word transformation is the word metamorphosis. Do you remember in grade four science class? That little caterpillar that turned into a butterfly? Remember that process? Nod your head with me for a second if you remember that. All right, good. I think, I think we all had that class, right? It's pretty cool. Well, that's the word metamorphosis. That's the same word that Paul's using, this transformation. And we are glorified in Christ. What is the power, what is the mechanism whereby we, the caterpillars, turn into a butterfly looking like Jesus? Well, it's the power of God. It's the metamorphosis, it's the transformation that the Holy Spirit works in us as we walk with him. It's God's power at work within within us. And so we were lost and we were confused and we were addicted and we were without hope, without Jesus, but he's transformed us, right? We're found, we're freed, we're forgiven, we're alive in Christ and we will be alive forever. And we are who we are and we're becoming like Jesus because of the grace of God. That's it. And so, do you pray for this? Make this be your prayer. Lift the bar high. 
Let this be your prayer. Lord, let your name be glorified in me, and Lord, may I be glorified in you. May I shine your glory, and may, Lord, that glory that you have transform me to make me more like you. Well, the third and final thing I want to say today is this, the enabling, the enabling. How do we do this? This is like trying to say in grade nine, okay, we're going to do high jump today, everybody, and um, we're going to put it at the eight-foot mark. You're thinking, I can go under the bar at eight feet. But I'm pretty sure if I try to jump eight feet, like I'm smacking into that thing and, you know, I'm going to get hurt. It's going to hit my cheek or gonna bruise my, my side, right? This, this bar is way too high for me, Jody. Uh, I cannot get over this bar. This living worthy thing and this, you know, uh, doing this one idea thing and stepping out in radical faith, this bar is like way over my head. I cannot do that. And if you feel that way today, I say, good, exactly, you're supposed to feel that way. You're supposed to feel like you're out of your depth because it's not about us trying harder. It's not about us going, okay, I'm going to tie my shoes, make sure my shorts are pulled up, get all my best equipment, I'm limbered up. It's not about us giving it our best shot and jumping eight feet. Nope. It's not about trying harder. It's about a greater dependency. It's about leaning into the Lord in a way greater than you ever have. It's about trusting in God's ability in your inability. It's about trusting in God's ability in your inability. There's a Bible word for that. It's called grace, the grace of God. The grace of God is his ability in your inability. And we are saved by grace, and we are sanctified by grace, and we will be perfected by grace. You see the picture. And all along, it is the grace of God at work in our lives. The past Today, the present, and the future, it's been grace. Grace saved us. Grace is sanctifying us, and grace will perfect us. And just go, you know, Lord, Lord, more grace in my life. Amen, God. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, when we trust in the Lord, we are celebrating the gospel. We're celebrating the power of Christ in us. You cannot jump over this bar by your own strength. It is only by the power and the grace of God that you can do this. We can't, but he can. And so what's Paul asking God to do? We're going to bring this in for a landing. This struggling, suffering, steadfast group of believers, what's he saying? He's saying, Father, these people are in a tough spot. But Lord, by your power, may you do something. By your grace, may you do something. And we see this. We say this, is, this whole passage is about the work of God. He's saying, may God make you worthy. He's saying, may God fulfill this resolve for good. May God work by his power. May God work according to his grace. It's God, it's God, it's God, it's God. It's God who works in you to do what we've been praying about and talking about and asking about to make you and to equip you and to empower you what you should be and what you should do. And in the end, as God works, God gets the glory. We have a big purpose to live this way and God has a great and a big grace to pour in our lives. Our big purpose is to glorify God and to live this way. And so we need to ask for his help every day. Because if we believe God's word, believe God's word today. Do you believe God's word? Now's a good time for an amen. You're allowed to speak. Do we believe God's word? If we believe God's word and we pray in faith, which we've been doing, we're asking God to help us, we are going to receive God's power, we will receive his enabling grace, and we are going to be able to do great things for God. What's the result? that God will receive much glory. Well, as we wrap up this series, 
We have a big purpose to glorify God, and we pray, and I pray that we will pray big prayers because we have a big God. And so as we close this morning, I want to put that uh, screen up. It's a reflection. These four prompts. We're going to ask the Lord to help us in four areas. God, would you help me to live up to my calling? Lord, would you give me your ideas how I might serve you? Lord, be glorified in me and in this church, and let us be glorified in you. Finally, Lord, do all of this by your power and grace. I'm going to give you a moment to think about those things, to pray them, to say, God, I want this to be true of me. God, I want you to do this in me. God, I want to become this kind of person. Lord, just pour out the blessing of your power and your grace in me and in us. Go ahead, take a minute. Let's pray and reflect together. I'm going to have you stand and we'll pray. Brothers and sisters, let's stand together and pray this prayer you see on the screen. This is the text. And just before we pray this, I want to say tomorrow in your inbox, you're going to see seven prayers emailed to you. All of the seven things that we've been studying over the last seven weeks. So you're going to be able to pray Monday to Sunday. And what I'm going to ask you to do is that we're going to commit to praying in the month of December. We're going to pray Monday. We're going to pray for that thing on Tuesday. And all the month of December, I would love you to commit to praying for yourself and for the church, for each other. These things, that God would make these things true of us. Here's the one for today. Let's pray together. Say it with me. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us worthy of your calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in us and us in him according to your power and grace. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.